You speak in my heart and say, seek my face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Good morning once again. Good morning. So today, uh, today we are blessed, um, as we just heard, with a gospel passage that not only has one of the great verses of Christianity, but also presents us with the story of a man who is not much different than many of us. A man whose three appearances in John's gospel illustrate the journey of a soul called and transformed by the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so our sermon comes under the title, The Trinity Transforms a Pharisee. First, though, is our famous verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. The verse has become sort of a, a shorthand for Christianity, a code for those in the know. Accepting uh, the Bible and in, in worship, I rarely, I rarely ever see it written out. Just the citation on a license plate or maybe a billboard or strategically placed in the end zone seating section so that with every touchdown or field goal or point after, the camera and all of us watching will see the placard that reads, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Now some hear a, a Christian triumphalism in those words. Some find them attractive. Others are repelled. And then there are some who have no idea what John 3.16 says and could care less. But today, I want us to consider the first six words. For God so loved the world, the good and the bad, the believer and the non-believer, the rich and the poor. God's love doesn't stop with humanity, but extends to all creation, all creation on this, our little rock in the universe. The unconditional love challenges, disturbs, and comforts. It is one of the truisms of our faith. You recall the prayer that begins the season of Lent. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made. Given this, perhaps what Cassius said to Brutus in the play Julius Caesar is true. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. God doesn't turn from us. We turn from God. Yet God's love is not diminished or exhausted. It calls out continually, inviting us into a relationship that opens in us ever-deepening wells of compassion and understanding so that we may look upon the world with the eyes of Christ. Indeed, says our gospel, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The Son who was sent. It is this Son 
who speaks to us today of rebirth by water and the Spirit. It is this Son who confounds Nicodemus with mysteries that suggest the theological arguments that perplexed our early Christian ancestors as they sought to unravel and explain the concept of God expressed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God as comforter, sustainer, and creator. Their Trinitarian language infuses our worship from the opening acclamation to the glory of pottery that follows the psalm, their words are on our lips. In the Nicene Creed and in the Eucharistic prayer, the three persons who are yet one dance in our imaginations, just beyond the reach of our comprehension. Perichoresis, a Greek word for rotation, comes to mind. The image of these three whirling together there is in the bulletin uh, the famous icon by the Russian, uh, I think it's, uh, his last name is Rublev, that has the three there as the Trinity. Just beyond our comprehension, so we struggle to understand it. And, and, and here's, here's what a slightly perplexed St. Augustine had to say about this. We are talking about God. So why be surprised if you cannot grasp it? I mean, if you can grasp it, it isn't God. Let us rather make a devout confession of ignorance instead of a brass profession of knowledge. But it is today in our story that we can see the Trinity at work in one man's life. Though time separates us from Nicodemus, there are points of connection. He was not a poor man. He was, like many of us, a man of means. He was a man of intellect and accomplishment, a teacher of Israel and a leader of the Jews. As a Pharisee, he was part of a select brotherhood of 6,000 known as the separated ones who dedicated their lives to the Torah and diligently observing the law of Moses. But yet that is not all. Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of 70 men who comprised the supreme court of the Jews. All of this he overcame to meet with the unschooled carpenter from Nazareth. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, Chief Justice John Roberts seeking insight on constitutional law from a highly regarded, though homeless and impoverished court watcher. Imagine that, and you have some sense of the gulf that is separating Nicodemus and Jesus Christ. As I said, ours is a story of the Holy Trinity at work. As you remember the words from Psalm 27 that began the sermon, You speak in my heart and say, Seek my face. The Father spoke, and Nicodemus sought the Father's face as revealed in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh and lived among us, who was lifted upon the hard wood of the cross to draw all into God's loving embrace. The initiative began with God the Father. The transformation continued by means of an encounter with God the Son. We all have to come to Christ. 
in his holy word, in his holy sacraments of communion and baptism, in his holy community, the church, the body of Christ. All of us have to come to him, to be with him in the world, and to meet him and be transformed by him. Nicodemus' story reminds us that encountering Christ, though, does not bring about an instant transformation. We do not become champions of the faith overnight. The next time in the gospel that we meet Nicodemus, he says no bold words in Jesus' defense. Like a good Pharisee, he quotes from the law, telling his brothers in the Sanhedrin, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are saying. And they scoffed at him. Search. Search the scriptures, my brother, and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. Case closed. Jesus will be arrested. He will be crucified. Did Nicodemus miss his chance to say more in Christ's favor? Perhaps. But let us not hold this against him or be too harsh in our judgment. For who among us hasn't held their tongue out of fear or in unease when a word of truth or a confession of faith needed to be said? Who among us has not kept silent? History tells us that evil often thrives on the complacency and the silence of the good. And yet, even through this lapse, God was not finished with Nicodemus. Our Pharisee makes one last appearance in John's Gospel, this time in broad daylight, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who is another secret disciple. Together, they took Jesus' body from the cross, the body is still on the cross when he goes to Pilate, Joseph of Arimathea, to ask for the body. So the body is probably still warm. And they have asked for him. Nicodemus has a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes, an enormous amount that is procured at an expensive cost so that Jesus could be buried not only according to the custom of the Jews, but also in the manner of a king. This, I submit, at last, was the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing Nicodemus to a full confession of faith exacted not in words that could be taken back or explained away. I, I didn't mean to do that. But in an action that will never be forgotten. The Father called him, Seek my face. The Son instructed him, and the Holy Spirit emboldened him. And thus ends our story of the Pharisee transformed by the Trinity. Three persons were at work in him. The same three who are continually at work in us. The three that we know and confess as one. Here again, the first words of John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
And the good news, brothers and sisters, is that the Son was not God's only gift. Today's Eucharistic prayer tells us of incarnation, crucifixion, and ascension, and also reminds us that another gift and promise was fulfilled. The prayer says that we might live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose for us. He sent the Holy Spirit, his own first gift for those who believe, to complete his work in the world. Always, always our work continues. And always we are being transformed to transform the world that God so deeply loved. And always the initiative begins with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, so that each of us with the psalmist can say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory because of your love and because of your faithfulness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.